Hello, welcome to episode 18 of We Don't Talk About The Weather. Political discussion that to the uninitiated may just sound like screaming and crying. I'm Adam, I'm here with you. Hello. And we're here to talk about this week's news and politics. You look like you can throw up. I've eaten too much food. <laughs> what do you have? Um, because I'm a North London metropolitan elite. Yeah, of had, course, yeah. I had katsu curry and some sushi. Nice. Very nice. Oh, um, wait, katsu curry and sushi. Fucking hell, that's a lot of... That's like, a It's a lot of bulk. And ten gyoza. Because <laughs> I'm a greedy bastard. <laughs> well, I didn't really eat anything last night, because um, Holly wasn't here, so I didn't have any food. I just didn't feed <laughs> you just myself. Kind of shut down. Yeah, I just didn't feed myself. <laughs> I just sat around and stared blankly into space. I played a lot of Final Fantasy. So that's the news this week. This, the news this week is I'm almost level 70 now. In Stormblood, making good progress. I'm level 70 in Stormblood and diabetic. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> Lost a toe. Um, yeah, yeah, what's happened this week then? Okay, this week. We're going to start off with the DUP deal. Ah, is that list. the one that the Mail told us um, Theresa May bribed the DUP with Guinness? Oh, in yeah. that beautiful cartoon God, in the Mail. God, that cartoon I sent you, yeah. Uh, let's see if I can find it here. Um, the DUP, if you haven't realised yet, are quite famously teetotal. Oh, they don't drink <laughs> at all. But the male um, cartoonist, is it Matt? No, Mac? It's Matt, I think. In the te- Is that in the Telegraph or in the mail? I think, I think it was in the mail. Yeah. But who, whichever one it was, whichever stupid political cartoonist, because they're all stupid, really. Um, Pew, that's it. Pew. He couldn't work out a stereotype for the, for the DUP. So he just went back to, well, they all love Guinness, don't they? All oh, the Irish. Sorry, it is Mac. Yeah, sorry, it is Mac. Yep. <laughs> Confirmed by the letters M-A-C at the top. Um, yeah, it's a picture of, like, a pub, a, a landlord talking to his wife. It's like one of those old, like, um, uh, holiday postcards. Yeah. You know, all that kind of thing. Theresa May took some persuading, but eventually the DUP clinched the deal. And it's just a load of people on the floor with a sign saying, Free Guinness for Life. Yeah, what? Yeah, it's just, it's just. It's not just handy. racist. It's racist against the wrong people for the <laughs> wrong reasons. Yeah, it's racist against the wrong kind of Irish. <laughs> Come on, Bale. I thought better, better of you. I thought you'd be racist at the right targets at least. I thought you wouldn't like misfire, like actually literal friendly fire with their racism. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So the DEP yeah. deal that's done now. So that's done. Yeah. Um, They're getting a billion pound shoved into their. Yeah. Um, Orange squash filled gullets. <laughs> it's the little bag that they, they take around at the creationist meetings. <laughs> Pays for the orange squash and healthcare. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it's going to be a billion more pounds spent on Northern Ireland over the next two years than and it's previously not, been planned. And it's not a bribe because the Tories have just noticed that Northern Ireland is deprived. <laughs> yeah. They've just noticed. The thing, to be fair, I. I do think that that argument does have some weight, seeing as the vast majority oh, no. of the political class have only just noticed that the DUP exists. Oh, no. The wrong angle to come at this at is to say that um, uh, spending £1 billion in an area in, for an area's infrastructure and stuff like that is, is, a, bri- is, is a bribe and is wrong. Hmm. Like, it needs it. It needs it. It well is a hard. bribe when you do it to that bit and not to um, Wales and Scotland. That's where it comes in. Yes. That's what I mean. We were talking about this before. It, mm. it, you can't, especially after the fucking last seven years of austerity, mm. you can't then selectively say, "Oh, by the way, actually, we do have the money. We just weren't giving it to you." Yeah. 
They, but they, then, yeah. would it be that surprising if Tories hadn't noticed um, that Ireland was broke? Well, they didn't notice the rest of the country was broke. Well, I don't think they go to Wales like, or Scotland. No, but oh, no, I mean, she went to you know, she like went to Wrexham. High-profile councils: Liverpool, Manchester, Birmingham, Newcastle. All of them have been saying it forever. But the dominant logic at the time at the at the time was, oh no, we can't because we've got to lower the magic money pit. Hmm. We've got to make the magic money pit shallower, hmm. the deficit. Yeah, and it just it it just is another nail in the coffin of what politics was for the last seven years. It's, yeah. Oh, by the way, this was a choice. Yeah. This wasn't the necessity we, we posited as, which we all knew that. Well, yeah, we said it for ages. We all, we, I mean, everybody knew it. Well, everybody knew it wasn't a Well, necessity. not everybody, because there were plenty of people who said, like, you can't live with, you have to live within your means. They'd, they'd accepted that fucking bullshit logic into their stupid brains. Anybody who'd ever used a hospital or used a job centre knew it, I yeah. should say. yeah. But, um, Those dumb smarties. <laughs> but yeah, so the DUP are on side now, and mm-hmm. the vote is tomorrow? I think the Queen's speech vote is tomorrow. Yeah. Um, so we'll see what happens then. Well, it's not it's not as formal as a, a, an actual coalition. It'll be, we won't vote against you in the no confidence, mm-hmm. and we'll support your platform anyway, which, to be fair, they were going to do. Yeah, because they always do. The thing they did today was um, there were two U-turns in one day. Now, I, I hate, like getting all um, excited about when a government U-turns because it's a stupid like politics, well, no, a journalism should, thing. A government should listen to how a policy is received, mm. in, in theory. It's, um, what happens with this particular government, though, is they do turn very quickly, and yeah. what they'll do is they'll, like, they'll say, okay, so we're going to kill your puppies. And then people will go, hang on, I like my puppies. They'll go, okay, we're going to change our minds. We're not going to kill your puppies. And then you find out that actually there's going to be a means-tested system and they're going to break some <laughs> of your puppy's legs, depending on how many legs your puppy has. It's like, If your puppy has four legs, he's losing two. It's like a neoliberal shit Solomon. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to divide your baby in half, except they actually do it. <laughs> <laughs> they cut it in half and then charge you for the cleaver cleaning. And say, what are you complaining about? You've got half a puppy. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, it's 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 more interesting. Like, I don't, I, I'm not that like fussed about U-turns because I think it is just a political. Mm. What was the U-turn about thing. anyway? Um, it was about the cap on public sector pay. Oh. Um, they made two announcements in one day about um, relieving the one percent cap on public sector pay, which obviously is quite important because wages are quite important to people. Yes. Considering they spend most of their life working for it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they. Uh, at this point, nobody has any any clue what their actual manifesto is. The manifesto's disappeared from the uh, from oh, their yeah. website. Oh, yeah, that went a while ago, though. No, no, it, I, it only went uh, a week and a half ago. Yeah. Uh, where the page is completely blank. Fantastic! <sighs> it's great. It's superb. It's just um, it's just a whiteboard wall. You can write. You can just put your own dreams. You can just put your own dreams and wishes upon it. Mm-hmm. It's a mirror. Yeah. <laughs> the real manifesto was you <laughs> all along. <laughs> The most dangerous manifesto was you all along. <laughs> yeah, so we, yeah, so we'll see what happens yeah. tomorrow with that. I mean, um, the, the most important kind of thing about the DUP thing is, like you say, other councils are not going to stay silent about it no. anymore. Well, Kyman Jones is already um, ranting and raving about it. Yeah. And rightly so, because yeah. once again, Wales will be ignored because they, well, they don't. But it's like, what are they going to do? Mm. Make another heartwarming film about <laughs> about the cult, about the miners' strike? 
It's like, <laughs> what are they going to do about it? That's the problem. They oh, can't wait. all become topless waiters. <laughs> actually. <laughs> no, I know a fair few. Um, actually, yeah, it's my um, stepsister because of the kind of things that she, the kind of like events that her and her friends like organise and go to. They have a lot of naked waiters and topless waiters and that kind of thing. And she said they all tend to be from South Wales. <laughs> What's uh, proud people? Of course, the other aspect to the Northern Ireland thing as well is um, if they don't actually secure their power sharing government, the money gets spent by the British government when it takes over control of Northern Ireland again anyway. Well, it'll be great when they send it's... in the new Viceroy of Northern Ireland... Um, and it'll be Jacob Rees-Mogg coming in like this, like um, when Aladdin turns up as King Ali of Babwa because he thought he was going to become the like, the new. It was going to be like the Raj, but then he just <laughs> rolls up into Belfast at like a front of a train of elephants. <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah, we'll see what happens with Ireland. Mm. Um, yep. Yeah. So well, so um, Glastonbury. Oh yeah, my man Jacobs. Yeah, at, um, uh, Glastonbury. Or as Boris Johnson was referring to it in Parliament today, Glastonbury. Catch on saying Glastonbury, and then when people laughed at him, he said, "It's in the southwest. It's Glastonbury, Glastonbury, <laughs> Belland." Um, yeah, Jacobs and um, Figgy, John McDonnell were there. Yeah, so Tom Watson was as well, looking like a. Oh God, he looks terrible. It looks like he was released, like on day release. Well, no, I wouldn't say that. From the home. No, actually, no, I wouldn't say that. He, he looked like a bright blue, like no, lavender polo shirt, polo and a shirt stupid hat. And the same colour no, shirt. I think it's worse than like looking like he's day release from a home. He looks like he was on day release from a like a, a like a overworked family life that he doesn't like. <laughs> like you know the Finally, kind of person my that chance to get let loose. Yeah, he lives for this weekend because then crack. he gets to be the the kid that you always. I'm gonna crack open this can of cider. No glass. Yep. <laughs> I don't have to use a coaster here. <laughs> The missus is back at home with the kids. Now I get to be the man that I always knew I could be, which is a kind of obnoxious dickhead who's <laughs> hanging around like the drug tents too much. I think someone want... offers him some weed. Yeah, because he hasn't got the balls to ask for it. <laughs> Tom Watson. God, I hate Tom Watson um, so much. Yeah, Jeremy Corbyn's speech was a really, really good. Again, mm. more proof that Jeremy Corbyn's really, really good at this. Yeah, he's good at speaking. He's really, really good at speaking in public. Yeah, although he did um, use the auditory equivalent of kryptonite, which is poetry. Kryptonite for the working classes, apparently. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so he quoted the um, Shelley poem. Yeah. Um, what was it? Uh, the ye are many, they are few. Um, very rousing, very very traditionally left-wing poem to quote at certain points. Yep. Um, this was very weirdly received by a lot of the commentariat. Who like poetry, but they assume that poor people don't. Yeah. Who are literally the ones who talk about how important books are and how important literature is and how important being well-read is. And we're all on side when Michael Gove was saying that kids should learn poetry by rote. Yeah. Yeah. It was just it's such an odd thing. Mm. It's it, it kind of... like I was, th- I was thinking about it and it's like... It's not liking or not liking Shelley is not what makes you working class. No, it's also nothing to do with that. Well, no, we we found we know what that what the thing that decides whether you're working class or not, and that's mm. coffee. Mm. Well, it is that. It's a coffee, 
your 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 attitudes on coffee, your attitudes on prestige like, TV, um, prestige TV, uh, truncated versions of Moby Dick. Yeah. Was that a couple of years ago? <laughs> and uh, neoliberalism, and yeah. whether your tiny, tiny brain can possibly comprehend what's been happening to you every day of your life. <laughs> you yeah. know, little things like that. Yeah. But yeah, it's an it's an annoying one, the poetry thing, because mm. I like poetry. Yeah. I I like poetry when I was broke. Yeah. I don't like it anymore now that I've got a bit more money. Mm. Well, maybe I do. No, I still like the same shitty poetry that I've always liked. There was always there were tales for people coming out of the mines, and they would know Shakespeare. Like, yeah, it's not it's not a, a, a an elite it's not an elite people thing, but they read. want it to. Yeah, well, they'd like they'd you know? like it to be because they'd like they like to feel special. Yeah, but oh, the, the, that it's, kind of commentary at journalists, that kind of yeah, they like the kind of people like um, John Rental, Dan Hodges, those kind of yeah. Who are just really dumb? Yeah, they're like a special level of dumb. But it's it's they're they're meant to have the broadest minds. They're that that's their selling point. That's how they sell themselves. They're the ones with the broadest with the broadest outlook. They can take in every view. That's li- like that's their li- that's their, their definition of liberalism. They take in every view. Uh, just to have, quote uh, Philux, they just have the smoothest brains. Mm. And they don't take it every view. They never do. It's increasingly big. It's been fascinating watching them trying to hammer out what the line is mm. on Corbynism. Because, I mean, like, it's been a few weeks since the election. Yep. So they've had to reform um, and point in a particular direction. Yeah. And it's just been fascinating seeing what line of... Because their defence was has been kind of either getting on board with it and refuting everything they said previously. Owen Jones. Owen Jones. Uh, dropping out, trying, trying to drop out of politics while also having being paid for a political column, Nick Cohen, <laughs> and saying, "Oh, I just think we won't, I won't do politics anymore. It's all become too, uh, too polarized." He hasn't like, really been doing politics for a long time. He's is, just been the grumpy old man think, sitting in the corner complaining about how no one likes him. What do you think politics is? Yeah. What do you? Well, what have you been doing all this time? <laughs> <laughs> um, but the line of attack has been: Corbyn didn't win the election. Therefore, he failed. Mm. And conflicting analyses of who Corbyn's base is, who Corbyn appealed to. Now, you can see from the statistics, it's been an upturn in voter, tur- like voter turnout, people who didn't vote before or haven't voted for mm. a long time, and young people radicalised by the fucking shitstorm that they've been through over the last mm. seven years. People who grew up under austerity with all the crises and, and have really don't really remember a Labour government mm. all that well. I mean, yeah. we're talking two thousand what two thousand ten, yeah. seven years. So if you're twenty soon, you know you're in your early twenties. You barely think of that as relevant unless yeah. you were really into politics before you were sixteen or something like that. You know, um, but yeah, they seem to be alternating between this. He's a he's a brutal man. He's so rough. Mm. He has brought toxicity into into politics, mm. or saying he's a fake and he's a champagne socialist. Yeah. Now it can't be both. No, it's um the complaining <laughs> about the people at um Glastonbury. It's like they're all too uh, the reason of all they all uh, they all cheered for him because they're all middle class people. Yeah. Um, which don't I get, don't think is completely true because there's, there's there's a load a, of people from my oh, work who are not um who don't earn that much yeah. who went to Glastonbury. Well, they saved the up. Things, it's their um, holiday. Well, also 
Glastonbury tickets you can buy on um, higher purchase now. Yeah. Which is depressing. Well, it's what, also, it's one of those things that it's not like the people who, I mean, just because of what Glastonbury is, it's not like there's a lot of people who just on a whim toss away 250 quid mm. to go, oh, we'll go to Glastonbury. And then they pack the, pack the fucking Land yeah, Rover. It's a thing that they've been and head off. for. It's something like, no, like religiously, I'm going to get online at mm. nine o'clock in May I, and I'm going to buy the tickets. I've been saving up. I've got the money. And we do it like that. It's like when we used to go to Reading. Yeah. It's not, yeah, it's not, it's not necessarily, it's, I don't know, you can't, you can't generalise about it. I know Glastonbury's, you know, pretty middle class at this point, but yeah. it's not entirely, and it's not no. the entire story. But also, the notion that they're all inherently lefty is mm. very much wrong. No, I would um, say that I don't know, maybe uh, out, of ev- out of everyone I know who goes to Glastonbury, only one of them is actually lefty. <laughs> yeah yeah um but yeah so it's just weird getting like accusations of um because it's it's flipped around exactly from the beginning of the election campaign where you had to reach out to middle class voters who yeah. never reach middle class voters tories have got this mm. in the bag to complaining of champagne socialism from the bougiest of bougie journalists well it's because they wanted to be a bit more racist <laughs> why can't he just be a bit more racist yeah. adam why can't he just be a little bit? Just to <laughs> throw a bit to what they see as his base. Why can't he just appeal to Blue Labour? Mm. Look, progress, the part of the Labour Party progress. Oh, yeah. We were they're they're about going that, for a actually, hard progress. time. They're going for a hard time at the moment because their one donor left. Lord Sainsbury, the yeah. progress lord. <laughs> so, you know, they the should. progress pro- knight. From a bone and be a bit racist. Why, why can't he just be... What? Well, look, the election's over. Now he needs to make everyone like him again in the Labour Party. So he just needs to do whatever they say. <laughs> or, he, or he's Stalin. They had a choice and it seems like fully half of them have embraced it and fully half of them have just decided to do that thing where they change reality. Yeah. You know? It's pretty great. Um, it's pretty funny. <laughs> so I've got this... Uh, speaking of rewriting reality... Yep. And the difference between before the election and after the election. This New Statesman article here, written by Lisa Nandy. Uh, <laughs> the thing is, is she one of those people who you vaguely remember, like me, who you vaguely remember who she was? Can't remember what quite she stood for, but you remember that she's on the bad side? <laughs> yeah, she's like. There's so many of them. Revian. <laughs> But also, you shouldn't be bringing new statesmen into my house. Oh, don't worry. I copied and pasted. I'd rather if you were just like bringing in multiple copies of um, Mein Kampf. It's more useful. I've only got the one. <laughs> Amateur. I do actually own a copy of Mein Kampf. I've of course you a, do. Yeah. I've got a... My uncle had a, a load of books and he's got a pre... He's got a pre-1933 copy of Mein Kampf that he was given as a school prize. At his school for, I think he was into hockey, like field hockey. Yeah. Where was the school? Um, Tiverton. Somerset. <laughs> Turton. Turton, yeah. Uh, that's not that surprising, really. <laughs> Is it well, signed by all the stars? <laughs> oh, no, he's got his name, like, inscribed in the front. Jesus. As, like, this is your school prize. <laughs> that's so fucked up. It's weird, isn't it? But anyway, I've got this... Uh, so Lisa Nandy, um, she was co-chair of Owen Smith's leadership campaign. Oh, there we go. There we are, see? It now I remember in. the name. She's been approached a couple of times to the Labour leadership, but she's quite new, so she's never gone in. She agreed to be Owen but, Smith's... 
So she's a natural winner. Oh yeah, she's very, very used to winning. Yeah, so um, so she should be listened to because Owen Smith did great in the um, 2007, this last <laughs> election, and we now live under an Owen Smith government. <laughs> he would have won. Owen would have won. Just repeat it to yourself. Owen would, Owen have, would won. have won. <laughs> if what we need some beige. I'd really like Do you have any idea how many men he had to beat off? <laughs> he beat off all those men. He beat off all the men um, and a couple of women. Oh, and he did, um, he did let slip. He, well, I say let slip. He boasted about the size of his cock. Yeah, he did. did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, that's what people want. They want a radical Macronian centrist mm. with a massive hog. Fucking oh, I wasn't going to talk about Macron, but I, I need to. I need to just get it out. Of, like we'll we'll get into Macron. There's a bit in this. That... Macron doesn't annoy me as much as Trudeau with his NATO socks and his Eid socks, and then people going crazy about his Eid socks. And it's like that's really nice. If you're it's... in Saudi Arabia, they chop off your feet for the depiction of the <laughs> human form on your socks. But the thing is. I was like, oh, look at him. He's at Pride. He's so lovely. He's wearing Eid socks. It's been nearly, it's been nearly a year since the courts told him to equalise payments for benefits for ni- indigenous Canadians. <laughs> he still hasn't, I assume, because he's sock shopping. <laughs> because, you know, NATO socks must be hard to come by. Or he had them made with the money he saved from not giving money to the fucking Indians. <laughs> Or Native Canadians. Native Canadians sounds weird, though. I think they call them First Nations, but I'm not up on the correct nomenclature for... Um, the people are supposed Canadians. to be there, rather than the Angles and the fucking French. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway, yeah. Okay, go on with Lisa Nandy. So, I don't even need to... I shouldn't have to say this, but her grandfather was Lord Byers, a Liberal MP and life peer. Fantastic. There we go. So, so she was she like this, helped run his campaign, or did she run his campaign? Uh, she was the co-chair of his leadership campaign team. So, so not going to say that it was her idea for him to, for Owen Smith to boast about the size of his hog, but she didn't veto it. <laughs> yeah, a lot of things happened in that leadership campaign that nobody's proud of. <laughs> With his uh, tiny fucking coffee. Oh my god. Oh, I don't usually uh, in my in my former role as head of public relations for Pfizer. I don't know what a fucking cappuccino is. <laughs> we're not having more coffee talk we've made our points about coffee and we've come to peace with it but I haven't (laughs) Um, so obviously she's got a good bead on things yeah she's like just right there Dan (laughs) Hodges-esque she just knows she knows the word on the street and the word on the street is Is working class people don't like coffee they love giant cocks in their leaders on their leaders (laughs) and in their leaders (laughs) Celebrate Labour's electoral success, but don't forget the working class. Ah, oh, cool. Cool, we're going... Yeah, you see, immediately you've pivoted into, you know... Oh. And I quote, This election broke op- wide open some assumptions that have constrained us on the left for too long. Us on the left. She's on the left. Assumptions. That the young won't vote. That any one individual or political party is unelectable. That perceptions of both individuals, parties... Jeremy and even Corbyn policy- doing well is proof that no one is unelectable. <laughs> the perceptions of both individuals and parties and even policies cannot change suddenly and dramatically. It reminded us that courage, ambition and hope are what's needed and what have been missing from our, po- our politics too often for too long. Who on the left was under the assumption that the young will never vote? Her! Yeah. The right of the party. Yeah. 
that it was a lost cause. Otherwise, they would have been doing it. No, they didn't say lost cause. They sucked. They um, they fully went with the Tory thing of mm. let's just make sure they don't. Mm. Because you, because they'll just you know, like pensioners who only vote for themselves. The young people only vote for themselves. The only problem is young people voting for themselves. They have more of a vested interest because they've got to vote for a country that works for the next at least fifty years. <laughs> Whereas pensioners just need the next couple of weeks. Oh come on, Hugh! Your analysis is off like that. Under austerity, there's no way those kids would reach sixty. <laughs> no, God no. <laughs> um, yeah, and I can't think of anything in recent history where one individual, the perception of an individual, has changed so quickly. Um, after some kind of illegal war, for instance. <laughs> if only there was a, an example of that within her very own party. <laughs> for someone that she probably loves. <laughs> um, we have learned to tread carefully and wear our values lightly. The left? No. No, she... The people who support Corbyn do not wear their values lightly. They're quite wears, well entrenched. I think she probably wears her values lightly. Like yeah. that... Um, like that... Is he a Guardian columnist who... Um, Let's slip in a Facebook figure that it got posted all over Twitter. Oh, about how he wanted eighty percent, like eighty oh, percent of the population are retarded. And oh they... no, we're, that is that is actually part of what I'm, oh, we're going to do later on. Oh, we're okay, going to bring that on. up. Yeah. So yeah, they do. She um, she keeps her views private. She wears. Because she has problem problematic yeah. views. <laughs> In this election, at least, it seems the final anticipated fracture of Labour from its working-class base after Brexit did not materialise. Shortly before the snap election was called, I wrote that Brexit appeared to be Labour's greatest weakness. It could just be our greatest strength. Because consider what Remain voting Tottenham and Leave voting Wigan have in common. Labour. It's what everyone was saying all along. And anyway, we will succeed if we seek the common ground shared by the decent, sensible majority. And more importantly, so will Britain. We will succeed if we seek the common ground, and so will Britain. But Britain surely includes both the majority and the minority. Hmm. I don't. I don't get this unificationist stuff, this bipartisan stuff. I just don't get it. Under some circumstances, you talk like that because that's politics. After a terrorist attack, Tell after a, 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 a tower burns down. Actually, not when a tower um, burns down. When an earthquake uh, yeah. happens, when something that, uh, yeah, when yeah. something okay, in theory yeah. that you can't control, when there's a flood, like when Godzilla yeah. returns, mm. um, that kind of shit. Mm. But in general, I find bipartisanship to be the thing that drives me the most insane. Well, also, I the, fucking hate Tories also, also, with a passion. It, I hate most of the Labour Party with a passion. Not just I'm not going to work. It's with not them. just that when they talk about bipartisanship in America. They're a lot more unified, and their system allows for that. Yeah. They're not literally called the opposition. Yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't work. So why would you appeal to that? Yeah. You're never gonna. You're, it's oh. copy in America when we have a very different form of government. Yeah. Um, as Bob Dylan once said, "The times they are a changing." Fuck off, Dylan's yeah. a hack. Also, um, kind of out uh, outmoded reference to sixties counterculture. Yeah. Number one. Um, but and he was then, the worst one as well. <laughs> I've never. I've never been into Bob Dylan. Of course not, because he's a piece of shit. Uh, well, I'm not that into folk music. That's really. Yeah. Was Bob Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> the recent past has moved at extraordinary spree- speed. The Brexit referendum, the rise and retreat of nationalism. Retreat? Hmm. Not really. Yeah. The election of Trump and his crushing unpopularity just a few months later. The reversal in fortunes for May and Jeremy Corbyn. The astonishing phenomenon of Emmanuel Macron. That's where I the wanted to bring The astonishing phenomenon. In. That's where I wanted to bring in Macron. I am sick 
Macron, people dis- Macron makes him sound like some kind of uncontrollable ro- robot. <laughs> that's, although, well, to be yeah, fair, yeah. Well, actually, so, no, he's, no, he's a completely controllable robot. <laughs> he's he's um, Skynet, but without the AI part of it. Um, yeah, Macron the- became sentient and immediately decided to axe four thousand jobs. <laughs> they're doing they're doing the thing again, where just after Trump got elected, everybody retreated into like Harry Potter esque kind of fantasy yeah. to avoid having to deal with the reality of what was actually happening. Yeah, with the idiots and now, pretending that Hillary was in charge. And now they've moved on to like one step up, where there's one leader who fucking barely anybody voted for, and only voted for him because they were so disgusted by who opposed him. Yeah. And now he's a phenomenon. Everybody loves him. He's going to do great things, like make public sectors in France unviable, <laughs> just like they have here. <laughs> who, who, who in Britain looks at what happened to our public sector and in our cities, and in our, in everywhere, in our towns and cities, and thought, hmm, this misery's really good. If only we had another more slightly happier country that we could see become miserable a technocratic former banker would do that oh, oh wow that's what he is oh wait oh it oh the astonishing phenomenon of emmanuel macron and pro-european centrism lowest turnout for their parliamentary vote yeah lowest turnout that was the, yeah that was the thing it was like oh look you see sensible middle of the road policies can win as long as nobody votes for them. Yeah. If everybody disgusting. If everybody stayed home blitzed on cheap Mm. wine, Mm. then maybe, just maybe... Believe me, if that were an option. (laughs) Lager, just can't get as blitzed on lager as I used to. Too gassy. Um, After seven years of austerity, as John Curtis observes, the Tories made some of their biggest gains in some of the poorest areas of Britain. Not anymore. But there's more... It's all falling apart now. Yeah, it's all... and I mean, I'm assuming by poorest areas of Britain, she means Scotland, which, true, they did make gains, but there's a specific set of circumstances and a massive failure by Scottish Labour. I don't know if it's a failure of Scottish Labour. Scottish Labour literally told everyone to vote for the yeah. Conservatives, and they oh, did. You know, yeah. That proves that people still listen to Scottish Labour. <laughs> it's just the problem is they say wrong things. <laughs> it is something I felt in all of the eight constituencies I campaigned in during the election. So she clearly wrote part of this when she thought Corbyn was going to um, get trounced. Yeah. Um, as you say, it's that kind of like, no, I understand the spirit of the people. I've been on the doorstep with 10% of the electorate in eight particular constituencies that represent 0.1% of those constituencies because they're not going to vote. And Gladys said <laughs> that. Um, while the Labour vote rose significantly in towns like Wigan, so too did the Tory vote, despite little or no campaigning on the ground. That's... Not true in most towns. Mm. Um, As Rob Ford put it, uh, Labour, founded as the party of the working class and focused on redistributing resources from the rich to the poor, gained the most ground in 2017 in seats with the largest concentration of middle-class professionals and the rich. That's categorically and statistically not true. Mm. Um, The largest group that turned out for Labour were um, 18 to... uh, whatever it was, 18 to 25-year-olds who by definition, are on the lower end of the social demographic scale. Uh, yeah. Ds and, and C2s and things like that yeah. in like marketing terms. Um, to acknowledge the... Britain's class politics have been turned completely upside down in 2017. I don't, I don't think that's true. No. It's a- because nobody... Because as well, you can't tell the... There's no way of linking... 
the party's... There's not really a strong link between the class and the party's policies because nobody's done class politics and there's still a substantial section of the Labour Party who make sure that that's the case. Yeah. Because they come out with one nation bullshit like, oh, we can benefit the whole of Britain if we just get... Rid of everyone with a tan. Yeah. Um... But if the future of Labour lies in a coalition between middle-class young professionals and the working class... A coalition. I don't... Middle-class young professionals. How? I, I, I don't... The thing is, it's that thing of... They, they have a... The words to describe class have become so busted up. Yeah. They're so wrong mm. that they... Like, a lot of the time, it's especially these people, the people who are on the right of the Labour Party who get it very wrong. Mm. And they say things like, middle-class young professional. What they mean is someone who, whose parents were probably graduates, Yeah, they're a graduate, and they're a young professional in that they work for a company and earn maybe 22000 a year. Yeah. They're working class. Yeah. They are on a very low income. Yeah. Well, not very low income, but they're on a low income. Yeah. Um, Certainly when you consider, like, I mean, in London, London is a, a special case, but it's increasingly become true in the rest of the country that rents are far outstripping any oh, yeah, of definitely. those increases in wages. It's, um, it's that thing of, it's because, peop- especially people on the right of the Labour Party, that kind of person sees the term middle class as a compliment and the term working class as an insult. Yeah. And that's where a lot of their problems come. It was a... It was a... It's like when I'm, I say to... It's like if I say around Holly or Lily that someone's fat. Yeah. And they say... But they're nice. Yeah. And I said, I didn't say they were nice. I said they were fat. I'm using a descriptive term for someone. I'm not like, this isn't me just standing in the street pointing and shouting. But what Sometimes I'm saying is, if I say someone's working class, I'm not saying they're bad or good. When I say someone's middle class, I'm not saying they're bad or good. When I say someone's bourgeois, point, I do like, then have... The point is that there. Uh, it happened during Labour's term as well, and there was an element of... Something else I was going to try and talk about later, but I mean, this seems like as as good a a time as any. Um, There's a particular kind of formation of class in their minds where class is a thing that happened in the 50s and 60s. So you can say, my mum, I grew up working class. Hmm. I'm now a lawyer. Therefore, I'm a working class lawyer. Because it's like a genie, it's like a gene pool. Like saying they came over on Windrush. Yeah. So they always came over on Windrush. Yeah. Even though they didn't literally come over on Windrush. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's an ossified view of class stuck in the 1950s, and it's it's what's responsible for all the Owen Smith bullshit about not liking fancy coffees and having to fight for his wife because he's seen um, a, a, a Ken Loach film or two. Yeah. And he thinks that that's what class is, yeah. not that it's changed and that now it's mostly service and uh, precarious positions like that. Hmm. You know, it's, it's insane. While there is a shared agreement about investment in public services, how are those interests to be squared on areas like national security and immigration? Hmm. Uh-oh. Just a few days before the elections, statistics were released that pointed to a collapse in trade union membership. Nope. What does the decline of an organised labour movement means mean for who we are and what we can achieve? But they've been... That's the wing of the Labour Party that has been consistently trying to divorce themselves from the trade unions, even though it's like shoving a, a sword in your, your own back. Well, they'd rather... It's that thing. We saw it in the run-up to the election, and actually during the election with some of them. Mm. These people would much rather see the Labour Party die. Yeah. 
it's really weird. But she's a, I mean, uh, she's parroting those lines, but she's an MP. Yeah. She's a member of the Labour Party. It's just... The most dramatic finding from this election was the support Corbyn's Labour Party appears to have won from middle-class young professionals. They said he couldn't do it, and quite stunningly, it seems they were wrong. Isn't that the whole New Labour project, though? The whole New yeah. Labour project was to make them palatable for middle-class voters. Yeah. As an addendum to what we were saying about class being stuck in the 50s and 60s, a lot of New Labourites' ideas of class are also then stuck in the 90s, yeah. when there were a number of people, there, there were kind of traditionally working-class pursuits like football and things like that that were becoming more bourgeois, mm. more kind of standardised around... Um, like, you can't be working class and afford to go to football. No. You can be a football fan, um, but you, you can't can afford, afford to it. go to the shit of football. You can afford to go to, like, lower league stuff, yeah, sure. But if you're talking about premiership teams, mm. it's not happening. And no. it's just holding out the people who own, season, who own season tickets to Premier League teams as working class. Mm. It's making it a cultural signifier rather than an economic indicator, which yeah. is what it fucking is. Um. Anyway, uh, but a Comrades poll last week caught my eye. By a large margin, those 30 to 44-year-olds would favour a new centre-ground political party over the current political centre. No. Settlement. Do you notice how she's just shifted the terms? Yeah. She's just said, middle-class young professionals, and then launches into, but here's what 30 to 44-year-olds think. Yeah. Now, we're on the lower end of that ourselves, but like I, we certainly kind of scraped out of the financial crisis. I've not got a fucking penny to my name renting things and, and still living, I mean, in a large extent, like a 20-something. Yeah. It, economically wise, like I'm, I'm a bit more stable now than I was in my 20s, but she just shifts it to say, also, actually, what 30 to 44-year-olds think? And they're the important ones. But also, she's doing that thing of, um, we're all shocked by the election because we listen to specific pollsters that keep on getting things wrong. Yeah. But this pollster that was wrong before, they've got this really interesting fact for you. <laughs> and it's like, no. I don't. I don't care. I don't care what your idiot pollster says. And the your the thing is, if that if the comrades poll hadn't said it, she would have gone to whichever other poll that had said it, like the least the like the Nandy poll that she did, yeah. where she went to talk to four of her mates who all happened to be Lib Dems and decided that she should join the Lib Dems. <laughs> what she was, should fuck off. And she join found the Lib Dems. she found the oldest oak tree uh, in every town, <laughs> ripped up the root. Plugged it straight into her heart, <laughs> and she got a dose of pure Britain directly to the circulatory system. And then she knew what everybody thought. And then she's decided that everyone should eat nettles, and she painted herself <laughs> in woad. Here's the, here's the real fucking kicker. In an election where he returned strongly to two-party politics, it appears they, the 30 to 44-year-olds who favour a Senate-ground political party, it appears they moved to us. But what would a dynamic and renewed Liberal Democrat Party or a British en marche do to our support base? I would literally kill them in the streets. <laughs> but you've just spent ages saying that centrism, that everybody moved to the margins because of what they... Yeah, it's... Um, also... Because if, they're if suffering. They, a, they, they, they really are obsessed with the idea of having a British en marche. And mm. we do have that in the Liberal Democrats. And we are going to see a lovely, rejuvenated, vibrant Liberal Democrats with Vince Cable at the head. Oh, no. Did you see the uh, oh, the tweet the other day oh. with, um, I can't wait for the centrist party led by um, Sadiq Khan and Ruth Davidson? 
It's brilliant. Now that's fucking, that sentiment is hilarious, but it's also fucking dangerous. Because what the fuck in a system like ours, in where they come from, should Sadiq Khan and Ruth Davidson have in common? They shouldn't have any... They don't, and they shouldn't have anything in common. Not their backgrounds, but their actual political platforms. Mm. If they have something in common, there's something fucking wrong. Mm. It's a wrong... It's a wrong party. So, Sadiq Khan isn't as popular as... No, no. Like, Sadiq Khan... I voted for Sadiq Khan because I knew that my first... You're not going to vote for fucking Zach Goldsmith, are you? Well, no. And my first choice of that Polish prince was never going to win. I can't even remember what he stood for. I don't think he stood for anything apart from that duel with Farage that he wanted. <laughs> he looked great, though. He was very anti-communist, but he was also... I quite like the idea of London being run by an old crank. <laughs> we tried a young crank with Boris, and that was a bit weird. That was horrible. Consider the Labour Manifesto, which drew on every tradition across our movement and demanded that every part of the party had to compromise. Did it? Mm. It was, a, it, was a, it was a compromise manifesto. Yeah, but it wasn't a compromise. Of, it wasn't that much of a compromise no. with the Labour Party. It was a compromise for us. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, I would have gone, we would have yeah. gone much harder to the left. Yeah. It would have been, we, I bet you we would have got more votes. I bet you I would have picked up a whole fucking bunch of conservative swing voters with nationalising Weatherspoons. Yeah. Yeah. Nationalised Weatherspoons. And guess what? You get a free meal every day once you're a pensioner. Mm. That'd be good. Because also pensioners don't eat the kinds of things that I want from Weatherspoons. Exactly. Yeah, they eat like the stews, the do soups. Do they do stews at Weatherspoons? Oh, they definitely do a stew. Who yeah. has a soup at Weatherspoons though? Yeah, delicious seafood well, bisque. It was because the only time when we eat at Weatherspoons, we eat to load our stomach up ready to start drinking gallons and gallons of cocktails or cheap, cheap beer. Yeah. And soup ain't going to line your stomach. <laughs> um... Unity is not the same as uniformity, and while two weeks ago I felt there was a real danger of historic fracture, now I believe the shutting down of genuine constru- now I believe the shutting down of genuine constructive debate on the left is the great danger we face and must avoid. As opposed to the, con- the to the shutting down of debate that would have happened had Jeremy Corbyn been ousted because he didn't win the election. Well, the shutting down of debate in the Labour Party going back decades. Yeah, but that was fine. Because it was shutting out the debate that she dislikes. No one person, faction or party has ever had the monopoly on wisdom. The breadth of the Labour movement was and remains our greatest strength. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, the future will be negotiated, not imposed. A government... Who are in, they nego- A government imposes a manifesto after it's won an election. It doesn't win an election and then negotiate, in yeah. theory. Mm. <laughs> but, that's, but that's what we're having at the moment. And we see that it's fucking horrible. <laughs> yeah. um, as we witness the age of strongman politics across the world, here in Britain, our political culture has become angrier and more illiberal than at any time I can remember. So, so... <clears throat> I hate this. It's when people complain about things not being liberal. Yeah. And what they mean is, someone called me a dick on Twitter. Yeah. Always very suspicious of the person who demands that you don't swear. Yeah. In informal settings. Yeah. No. 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 Um, The Brexit debate was characterised by rage, misinformation and a macho political culture that demanded we abandon nuance and complexity, an understanding of one another and a tolerance of different points of view. Well, that's because everyone has been pushing that forever. Yeah. That's part of the reason why the Leave the Remain campaign was 
doomed from the get-go was because before that they'd been pushing forward this whole notion of fucking of not nuanced view just all soundbite all sloganeering do you know who didn't have a tolerance of a different point of view before the election the new statesman yeah um this is not where the future of britain lies it lies in pluralism you've just spent ages talking about how we need to get back to the center and yet simultaneously appeal to the working class that the centre doesn't appeal to. They cannot get it through their heads that they're not unpopular because of some, like, trick or because of they've been shouted down. They're unpopular because their policies are unpopular. They are unpopular. You didn't see the magic right that Jeremy Corbyn did before he came onto stage. He was out out (laughs) back with Hawkwind, lighting candles, (laughs) praying. There's a there's a fucking great um, I can't remember that's, was, I think it was like Joe Kennedy on on Twitter who was um, talking about this article, and it's the reaction to tying it into our greater theme of centrism's reaction to the election and reforming their their kind of their thought forms. Mm. They're looking at the rise of populism on the right and on the left, right? Whatever that means. Something is becoming popular and people are becoming enthusiastic for different kinds of politics again, right? And they're looking at that and saying, actually, we're the popular ones. We're always the popular ones. It doesn't matter if in every vote we get fucking trounced. (laughs) trounced. If the Lib Dems lose seats left and right, if nobody's listening to them, we're actually the popular ones. So technically... But populism is dangerous, right? Populism is dangerous because all those people we don't like, they're the popular ones. But yeah. actually, we're the popular ones, so we should be populists. <laughs> I, it's baffling. Yeah. Utterly baffling. It's because at every dinner party that they go to, they're the smartest person in the room. Yeah. And they think everywhere should be like the room <laughs> that they're in. <laughs> the room should be Britain. Yeah. They're the smartest person in the airport waiting lounge. Um it lies in a, uh, the future of Britain lies in a politics that is nimbler, more fleet of foot, less constrained. A return to the great tradition of debate. De- I don't... The great tradition of debate, evidence, experience and argument as a way to build broad coalitions and convince people, not shouting one another down, nor believing any of us are always right. An arena in which we listen as much as we speak. A political culture in which we are capable of forming alliances within and across party lines to achieve real lasting change. No! 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 That's not what politics... Do you know what politics across a broad coalition in one room in which everybody decides stuff? Fascism. (laughs) A healthy political culture is two sides going at it. Mm. And I believe that not just as a Marxist, but as a, a, any kind of liberal. Yeah. As a, a liberal person who likes democracy. As a liberal person who likes democratic principles. Mm. The only way you get those voices heard is by hammering it out. Not by forming one grey party to decide what we're going to do. Because they'll decide in the name of the powerful. Yeah. It's the one thing she doesn't mention in this article is power. Yeah. Well, the powerful. Well, no, because they, the those kind of centrists don't like to talk about that bit because, because that's literally all they're doing. If they're not powerful already, they are an adjunct to power. Yeah. It's it's ridiculous. That was a bullshit article of bullshit. Uh, yeah. And speaking of unelectable. Uh, centrist things. I ran across this really, really stupid, weird thing on Twitter. A number of people ran across it. But um, 
something by about like you know centrists trying to pick up. So we've we've seen we've seen them trying to go to the pull Labour to the right and say actually you need to appeal to the working class stroke middle class stroke centre. Just anything make us relevant again, please, please make us relevant. But then there's some of them who've tried to loop around the other side and say Corbyn's no radical. And one of these men, a man who knows a lot about radical politics, is uh, Jeremy Cliff, who is the Berlin correspondent for The Economist. Yeah, so... <laughs> that was sarcastic, of course. Yeah, when I think of a bastion of radical economics, it yeah. will be The Economist. I mean, literally the joke about The Economist is Indonesia is at a crossroads. The crossroads <laughs> is as in the middle of anything as you can get. And that's their joke. <laughs> that's their meme. Um... So he tweeted, uh, Corbyn is a nostalgic who ran on a regressive manifesto and did little to stop Brexit, which will screw workers, young people and immigrants. We recognise this pattern from the Hillary thing yeah. of um, if you oppose um, Hillary, if then you're, you're hurting young women of colour. Yeah, if you oppose increased liberalisation of public sector, if you, if you oppose the um, aut automation of the service industry, mm. then... You are just a regressive yeah. dinosaur. A yeah. Luddite. Yeah. No different to Captain Ludd. But they've got an additional thing, because that was their... Captain that was Ludd? their Ned Yeah, Ludd. yeah, uh, Ned Ludd. Ned Ludd and Captain it, it Swing. It was Captain Swing, yeah. yeah. Uh, we should do that. Um, hmm. But, yeah, it was, it was the typical line with, the, with recently the added woke spice of you're opposing technology... Therefore, you're old-fashioned, but also because you're old-fashioned, you're not advancing material conditions, and you're hurting hmm. young people of colour. Yeah, that that little 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 barb, little little thing. If you're opposing end. technology, you're opposing young people of colour because black people they go crazy for Snapchat, yo. <laughs> That's essentially it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, See, so he, uh, he continues. I'm fed up of the widespread assumption that Corbynistas have a monopoly on radical change. Corbyn's manifesto was all, bring back X, bring back Y. But what would a genuinely progressive, forward-looking manifesto contain? Robots in McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> Selling my ovaries. It's just him in a, like, a fucking um, Ribeiro jacket going, you think that's new? Like some kids listening to rap, and it's like, <laughs> you think that's cool, kids? Check this out. He's brought his own elect bright, bright red electric guitar, and he's sitting on an amp. <laughs> and he just lets out Johnny Be Good. <laughs> stamps on their boombox and it shoots the tape out. He just kicks it across the street, plugs his guitar into it, and just starts really badly going through smoke on the water. <laughs> hey, hey, Kendrick, it's your cousin Marvin. <laughs> Marvin Lamar, listen to this. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so he then published this. Um, it looks very well word processed. So I don't know if this is something that somebody's actually adopted. I haven't actually looked into it to see if it was like ripped out of the Green Party manifesto or something like that. Um, do you know what would be radical? Let's try this for starters. Mm. Abolish the green belt, making it hectare for hectare, replacing it hectare for hectare with new national parks. As you can tell from the from the previous governments over the years, getting rid of green spaces and asking them to build new parks always a winner. Yeah. Um, build five million houses in five years. Okay. I mean that's good, but also. Where? What? 
Like, yeah. we can't build 100,000. I bet you he's one of those people who's really into those um, modular shipping container houses. <laughs> we'll put it on the Isle of Grain. <laughs> we'll put it on a pontoon and float it down the river. <laughs> a cardboard city tent is technically a house. <laughs> I've been looking at pictures of the um, the walled city of Kowloon. <laughs> Have you any idea just how many people were able to live in there? <laughs> now, if we liberalise... Some of these obnoxious fire regulations. Oh yeah, it's um. Uh, he adds the addendum: private where possible, social where necessary. Again, we know how that ends. Yes, it with ends schools, a... <laughs> with healthcare, with, with welfare, with a with tower disability block on fire, benefit, with ha- with housing. Yeah, yeah. Um, immediately guarantee the rights of all EU citizens in Britain. I, yeah, sure. Commit to staying in the single market and reforming free movement from within. So not doing Brexit, basically. Yeah. That's another thing. They're definitely... that Their strain is, oh, we should just not do it. Yeah. And it's like, well, people vote, no, we should just not do it. Mm. No, no. Um, abolish the immigration cap and introduce ID cards, paving the way for a sensible no. immigration regime. No, no. ID Stroke. cards are not a sensible middle-of-the-road thing. Yeah, ID cards are not a sensible middle-of-the-road idea. They're not. Um, do you know what? I, I just really want a sensible immigration uh, policy where coppers know that you have your papers on you. Yeah. Because it's mandatory. Yeah. Again, refusal to engage with... And what do they reality. mean by sensible immigration policy? Yes. So I've got a sneaking suspicion. That means not taking any refugees, but taking in young STEM graduates <laughs> without families. Raise foreign office spending to 0.2 of GDP. I'm not entirely sure whether they mean foreign aid there. I think they're it's probably already 0.5. Something like that. It's already... I, yeah, I'm not entirely yeah. sure. But the thing is, as well, their, um, foreign, aid spend, foreign aid spending is one that really drives me around the bend because it's like, the word is nice, but the policy is not so nice because it's all just bribes for dictators. Mm. They don't do it because it's selfless. They do no, it they because do it for it the helps. same reason the British state has ever done anything nice to anyone ever. It benefits For them. a reach around. Yeah. Abolish VAT. <laughs> um, sure. I th- actually, I like, think the VAT needs a thorough restructuring. Yeah. And it needs to be raised to... Uh, it needs to be raised, and it needs to be put on certain things like cars and... Cars, taken off things like diamonds, biscuits. and champagne. <laughs> well, it needs to be taken off biscuits. Hmm. That's a thing that pisses me off. It's, like, it's why you have VAT on... You have VAT on a bourbon, but you don't have VAT on a... Jaffa cake because the VAT doesn't no you have VAT that's what they classify Jaffa cake yeah because I I can't remember what it is because like Jaffa cake is a cake in theory Mm. and it's either cake or biscuit one of them isn't covered by VAT one of them's a luxury and one of them's considered an essential and it says a lot about the anachronist the like the weird notion of the the weird taxes of the British state is I can't remember which one the British government thinks is a necessity cake or biscuit (laughs) but either way there's something weird there Turns out, the Brit- a strict application of the British language actually has very significant material <laughs> consequences. Yeah, but basically, you should put VAT on cars. Yeah. Like, really big ones on certain cars. Um, and hats. <laughs> well, no, no, no. Only certain types of hats. Well, yeah, like, not baseball caps or, like, beanies. <coughs> Whoa. But, what? <laughs> what? It's just stereotyping certain... We're down to stereotyping certain types of hats as either working class or middle class. It's like, well, no, I want the highest VAT on the top hat and the trilby. 
when I'm working on the logic that I sometimes wear a baseball cap, I sometimes wear a beanie, I will never wear a trilby, and I hate seeing them. <laughs> um, introduce a land value tax, again, fine, but... That was in the Labour Manifesto. Yes, it was. It was, um, it was, it was pointed towards in the Labour Manifesto. It was, they were talking about it, and yeah, fine. Create a, here's the create a long term path to higher inheritance taxes and lower income taxes. Now, no. in a manifesto where they've said, build five million houses immediately, yep. straight away. It doesn't matter the obstacle. It doesn't matter the protest. It doesn't matter what type of houses they are. It doesn't <laughs> matter. Just build them. Yeah. But we really, really need to take a long term view of inheritance tax. <laughs> yeah. It's a sneaky little fucking uh, wording change yeah. on that. Um, combine the DWP with a new consumer rights ministry. What? No. I don't know why no, I, that's... Why I, is that radical? Why is that efficient? I have, I have why is that... What's their... I have immediate suspicion whenever government organisations are combined with anything else because what that means is combine two things but make them cost less money. Um, also make them work, work less well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this was the one that a lot of people had to actually look into. Um, expand the catapult network and allow it to spin out to private com- spin out private companies. So what is the catapult network? The, the catapult network is a weird. It's one of those neoliberal. From my brief looking into it, appears to be one of those neoliberal institutions where you get about. Five words that make sense in the first ten paragraphs of them explaining what they are on their website. Yeah. They seem to be a series of non-profit, charitable research and grant institutions that f- seem to have set up shop like Apple stores. But they're doing things into research like s- gene therapy and uh, things like that and, alter- and future cities research mm. they're one of those very very loose kind of i find the people who talk about silicon valley-esque i think i find the kind of people that this that talk about future cities mm. and doing biogenetic research <laughs> terrifying to my very core what in pop culture has ever led <laughs> you to be scared of genetic research and what cities are going to look like in the future i mean what <laughs> um Split England into city-states and devolve domestic powers to them. Okay, um, what the... I, that's, I got that a lot. Yeah, like, I, it's... Just because it's shocking doesn't mean it's, like, radical. Yes. <laughs> Kickflips are mandatory. Um, Grant Scotland home rule. Oh, okay. Oh, fine. Whew. Glad we got that one out of the way. Glad... Uh, it's so It's so no independence. Good. It's a, Oh, no. Not independence, like we granted Ireland home rule, which was not full independence. Um, But it's just the flippancy of it. It's just like, build a load of houses, just do Scotland, make Scotland home rule, that's it, done. What about Wales? Um, It doesn't mention Wales. Of course it doesn't. Well, I mean, we're we're already going to be a series of warring Renaissance (laughs) city-states. Um, abolish the Lords and replace it with an elected Senate of city-states and nations. Again, this city-state thing. Why are they obsessed very, with city-states? It's Silicon Valley influence, yeah. that stuff, where they want to split off because they imagine being in the Renaissance or being in the future thing. They're where, sick of being told what to do by country bumpkins. Yeah. 
Rubes! Yeah. Rubes everywhere! <laughs> That's what they're afraid of. They're afraid of people calling them nerds. <laughs> Introduce PR. That's just, it. Just, just two words. It. Two words. Introduce it. PR. Just do it. No, that would never happen. You we won't. already had the referendum about AV, which is not no, which I, is not PR. I want not crushed. I want PR. I, I want do, so, yeah. I want something much better than this first past the post system. But you're not going to be able to just do it um, and just say I'm doing it. Increase health and social care funding by adopting Sweden-style social insurance model. No. Step down from the current comprehend from the current yeah. um, NHS again. Just sneaking it in there. Who? Because yeah. a social insurance model, there's more of an emphasis on you only get out what you put in. Yeah. No, you can fuck off. And it's not a, it's not no, a cradle off. to grave comprehensive no. coverage like the NHS is. No, fuck off. Um, accelerate construction of HS2. I'm, I'm not sure whether to go in a kind of auti- do the autistic voice or do the robot voice it's with a lot of voice. these. Accelerate construction of HS2. Faster. Faster! Well, they'll need HS2. They'll need HS3 when we're nothing but a collection of city-states <laughs> with the blasted wasteland in between us all. When we've got... <laughs> when, you know, me and you live in Mega City 1 and there'll be Mega City 2 in Birmingham. Mega City 3... Where would Mega City 3 be? Mega Bank Brum. Mega Bank York. <laughs> Mega City York. Um, uh, immediately greenlight HS3, Crossrail 2 and yeah, Crossrail 3. To where? <laughs> yeah, it's like what, what, we did. To, we don't even know where it's needed. Well, yet. to be fair, we're going to have to build a train line out into the sea where we <laughs> built these five million floating homes. <laughs> um, oh no, he continues. Launch planning for HS4, HS5, Crossrail 4, and Crossrail 5. Loads of trains, all kinds of trains. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> Move Britain's capital from London to Manchester. Why Manchester? from Manchester I don't know actually he's but in Berlin why, at the moment but why Manchester like I, I'm I'm in I don't know like, how do you move the concept of the capital you could move the parliament you could move the parliament you could again he's operating entirely within this system so I imagine it would be offer inducements to the city to move HSBC's capital to They've the tried, HSBC's head really office work. no but you end up with Media City Salford. Yeah, but you could move. You could move the Parliament. I'm I'm well in favour. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you wouldn't put it to Manchester. It's, Manchester, how like when it goes in like sizes of British cities? Where's Manchester um, on that? So Manchester, it, so Birmingham is technically the second city, but Birmingham has a shitload of suburbs, and it crashes into like a London. lot a lot of other discrete metropoles like mm. Walsall, mm. Metropole. Uh, Wolverhampton, Walsall, Solihull, yeah. places like that. So, te- like technically, Birmingham is the second it, the second city mm. in size, but Manchester's not far behind it. Both about a million people, but again, Manchester spreads out to Oldham, Wigan, places like that. You know, um, You're piss off Liverpool hard. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, <laughs> what will we do with a pissed off Liverpool? <laughs> you know, it's just carry on like it's, it's practiced. Yeah. Um, no, it's not. It's not that there's a lot, like, it's a techno-utopian thing. And we should, never be, we should never be too dismissive of extreme claims. Because let's face it, that's what we want. We want strong, utopian, impossible dreams to shoot for. That's mm. the whole left-wing project, right? But it's like his tone, mm. and it's like, get a load of this. And then he just farts out a load of things that... I'm sure a lot of governments have wanted to do. I don't want to dampen down on his enthusiasm for building five million homes because God knows we need them. Mm. But it's like, 
it's a, a kind of... It's like a kind of purposeful ignorance. Yeah. It's like his idea of... He's, he's mimicking what he thinks radicalism is, which is a complete blindness to actually how to get that done. Mm. And also, you'll also note the entire lack of material benefits yeah. for the majority of people in this country. Yeah. Like, that won't be felt for years and years and years. And it's infrastructure. It's not um, welfare people benefits. People be so happy with their benefits not changing... Mm. But knowing that their great grandkids will be able to go on HS10, yeah, to the new capital. But it's like it's 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 pretty. Sealand. It's it's similar to um, Blairism. It's yeah. like regional boosterism. So yeah. it's like we'll build you this uh, art gallery, mm. and I have no problem with the art gallery being built. But the idea that that was all they needed, yeah, is is facile. It's ridiculous. To be fair. London was dying until they built um, the Tate Modern, and now look <laughs> at London. It's um, they're not used to. I think there's a there's a. I mean, they're they're impressed by they people like that. They're impressed by Silicon Valley. They're impressed by big glass and steel buildings. They're impressed by high finance. They're impressed by Silicon Valley because they're impressed with techno fascists. Yeah, yeah. They love them. Yeah, they love someone who's got so much money they can buy a town and do whatever they want with it. Yeah. There's no, I mean, there's no, um, there's no, in that, there's no plan for reorienting wealth or power to mm. people who actually need it. There's no redress of grievances based on the cuts to benefits. There's no, there's nothing for anybody. There's just a load of shiny stuff. Yeah. Believe me, I want to live in a series of city-states connected by super-fast choo-choos. Yeah. But we've got other problems. Yes. First off, if they just built all those choo-choos, no one could afford to go on the choo-choos. Yeah, nothing about like breaking up the private... It was like, the reason why Corbyn's manifesto had a lot of, I will restore this, it's and I will take away. it away. And it's back. like, we got, yeah, we got it taken away from us. Mm. They were ours, and oh, they took it. That's a horrible manifesto. I it's, just, it's just, it's, um, it's that he thought that, ha... Huh, I'll finally put all those socialists in their place. <laughs> Five, I'm going to build 10 billion homes in six months. Talk about radical. <laughs> I increase the numbers. <laughs> it's Socialists, they love trains. I'll give them a thousand trains. <laughs> Each one more grand than the last. <laughs> and then, in fact, that I call bullshit on his train love as well because actually yeah. I think probably what Britain needs is more kind of double-decker trains like they have in regional places oh. in France and, and Germany. In Germany yeah. It needs greater capacity rather than necessarily greater speed. Greater speed is a good thing. but it's The double-decker train thing, that's the kind of thing that they need to start thinking about with things like HS2 and shit like that because you can, I don't think you can put a double-decker train on virtually any of our train lines because we've yeah. got all these tunnels. Like where we grew up... Um, I remember when they did the, like the top up engineering work on the tunnel by Street Station, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I remember the fact that how slow the trains used to have to go through that tunnel. Oh, it was yeah. because nothing had been done to it for like since the Napoleonic. Era it was wars. a Napoleonic era tunnel. Yeah, and um, you could used to be able to hear bits of chalk falling on the roof oh, yeah. of the fucking the, train. I, the number of times I've been stopped on that train because they're like, we have to stop because the roof's caving in again because <laughs> it's chalk and necessarily sedimentary. God. Yeah, I just but yeah just have a double decker train through it. <laughs> <laughs> um, they've got they've got no ideas. No, 
and they're on the losing side. They're not used to being on the outside because well, no, let's they've face got it, ideas. They've got ideas. It's just their ideas are not based in in actual things. It's like it's just they're a- playing Civ, but they're saying like, <coughs> "I've got this great idea." What is your idea? Well, actually, okay, it doesn't work in Civ. It works in Civ City, but still, follow me here. <laughs> Dumb. I felt those two those two particular things were a good indication of a too weak a response to what's happened and too strong a response to what's happened. Yeah. It's it's not maybe the they need to have a more reasonable somewhere in the middle. Maybe they should be more sensible, yeah. Yeah. And get on the side of the absolute boy. Yeah. You know. Huh? Yeah. That's uh we now have a new segment. Yep, which that we want to try and do. Because let's face it, we all watch a lot of TV. And a we lot of movies and a of lot of music. We watch all of the TV. I mean, you especially, you watch all of the TV. I'm not, um, not happy about watching all of the TV. And the our new segment, rather than make me feel better, it's going to be cultural Marxism. Yeah, it is. So we're going to talk about, this week... Riviera. Right. New series on Sky. On Sky. It? Yeah. It's um, Sky's... I've seen adverts, but I've not seen it. I don't it's know. It's Sky's latest attempt to... Have someone watch their pro uh, watch programs that they make, right? Okay. Rather than just watch programs that I think, because by law they have to make programs, yeah. Just, like rather than just being the Simpsons and Game of Thrones network, mm. um, I think they made Fortitude, which mm-hmm. was um, a shameless copy of Scandi Noir shit and was crap. I've never seen a Scandi Noir of any stripe at all. Um, imagine. Wind puckered faces scowling because there's a dead girl for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. Yeah. Okay. And it's pretty dark because it's kind right. of I always thought that kind of came about because everyone was pissed off by austerity and they're like, look how calm and calming and pleasant it is to be murdered in Scandinavia. Oh, they really love under that. Such a, under <laughs> such a better, beneficent welfare state. And they really like the... Um, <laughs> look how well you die. I can't remember which country it was. There was one of the Scandinavian countries that had their political... Drama, which was very much, ah, let's all be sensible. Let's all be sensible, like these sensible Scandinavians, and side with the Nazis. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, okay, I'll give you a brief description of what this show is. Mm-hmm. So, Julia Stiles is the oh, new, is the new uh, base, base. I've watched all of it. Wow. I sat there and watched all How of it. How many episodes? Ten. <laughs> and I didn't watch it because I liked it. I watched it because my wife wasn't here. And my main Final Fantasy buddy had gone to bed. <laughs> okay, so Julia Stiles... Dark Knight of the Soulstone. Yeah. <laughs> Julia Stiles is the new wife or girlfriend or something of Constantin the Oligarch, or Rich Greek, I'm not exactly sure, <laughs> who seems to have a bank and a son that wants to buy all the art and marketise art, and a red-headed uh-huh. daughter that cuts herself... Is she literally redheaded, or are you? She's literally redheaded. Right. She is literally the only person in red isn't child. blonde, and she is redheaded and mad. So this is set on the Riviera in France. Yeah, right? it's set near in, Monaco and whatever it is. Yeah, the first episode has like London. Mm-hmm. And by London, I mean the city of London, mm-hmm. Manhattan, mm-hmm. Um, Monaco, yeah. and Nice. <laughs> so places that everyone can, mm-hmm. you know. Relate, well, it's good to have somewhere where you can relate to real places for yeah. real people. And Ewan Rian's in it. Ewan Rian, very good, young mm-hmm. Welsh actor, who once again gets to be have an English accent and be a bit rapey <laughs> and then die. Because that's what he gets to do in TV. Taking over um, Thingy's uh, role. 
uh, fella from, um, fuck, what's that? <laughs> the only thing he's in is Notting Hill. Um, the one who's in Super Ferry? Yeah. Reese fans. Reese fan, yeah. So taking over his role now that Reese fans kind yeah, of. Reese fans has never been that rapey. Whereas you and Rian is always rapey. Reese fans has been pretty rapey. But you and Rian is literally he's uh, he does <laughs> he sexually assaults someone in um, the mis- in Misfits. Yeah. In Game of Thrones. Yeah. And in this. <laughs> and then he dies. And he's always really creepy. And you and Rian's a good-looking guy. Why do they keep on making it be creepy? I mean. We've got different. I'm, I'm willing to settle for different standards of beauty, but you know. No, he's objectively attractive. <laughs> um, so, it starts off with Constantine the oligarch at a party doing something sketchy. He's doing like sketchy billionaire stuff with an oligarch. Does he look like um, Onassis? Um, like kind of pudgy, very very tanned. Yes. He's got the cheap sunglass, like the big sunglasses on. I don't think he has sunglasses, but he is pretty pudgy. Yeah. Um, and then he, he looks at a topless woman who then jumps off a boat because mm-hmm. he's on a boat and then the boat explodes. Right. That's the okay. start. Okay. Then what Triggering fo- event. Then what follows is about five or six episodes about Interpol being really angry about tax law <laughs> and about how <laughs> they should pay their taxes. Wait, There's- you didn't say this was my kind of program. Uh, but they're, they're the villain. <laughs> they're, they're portrayed as kind of villainous. <laughs> and at one point... They lock up uh, the main character, Julia Stiles. Um, so I'm supposed to believe that Interpol would lock up a blonde, attractive billionaire and then subject her to, like, they don't give her any clothing or bedding, they turn <laughs> off the heating, they're banging on the walls all night to make sure she can't sleep. And I'm no, you to don't understand. <laughs> they put her in the poor person prison by mistake. Yeah. The poor person prison on the Riviera. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of very expensive looking shots and basically what happens is people just turn up say exactly what they think or just say something to advance the plot there's no subtext Mm -hmm. sometimes a person turns up and suggests they go to a different place with a different shot (laughs) to then say what they think we spent a lot of money on this series (laughs) yeah Um, it's hard to say whether people act human in it because there's no and like whether that's a criticism because maybe that's what they're going for that none of them are human. <laughs> in this poor prison, is she like um, scraping a, a tin cup oh, on the bars? On the bars, going Attica, Attica. <laughs> Except Attica's a fusion restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> it's really weird. Um, it's completely empty and meaningless. Mm-hmm. Um, the after the the second half of the series starts to be about how. Constantin had a f- um, like a hard drive, which they described as like the Panama Papers, but more so. Oh, and then God. you find lots of people are dying for this. And as you can remember, the Panama Papers that toppled governments. Yeah, uh, you used to be able to avoid tax um, really easily, and now yeah. Oh, and the villains are it's... Russian criminals. And then certain uh-huh. sections of the Russian state. Uh-huh. Just Russians. Yeah, the bad rich guys. Yeah. Um, As opposed to Greek rich guys, who are notoriously l- beloved across Europe and the world. <laughs> Greek shipping oligarchs. I assume he's Greek because of the name Constantin. It's like, and then his I mean, surname- Constantin can be a Russian name as well. Yeah, but then his surname seemed kind of Greeky as well. Let me look it up. Racist. Let me look it up. But... Um, 
basically the whole thing the way it was shot it did look really pretty it was like an advert that you'd find for in like the monocle or the tatler oh yeah, yeah it's, where, so like hey are you are you wondering where to have your midlife crisis perhaps you should have a midlife crisis here and perhaps a murder mystery um, there's literally no reason for it to exist yeah it's a program that like there's a thing about um, soap operas that they're like um, a nation talking back to itself yeah and this has nothing. But it is the nation talking back to itself. The nation being the people who live that, who actually, weirdly enough, probably aren't watching it. Yeah. And the setting is literally wealth. Oh, his name's Constantine Constantine Cleos. So I would guess yeah, it sounds he's, kind he's of Greek. Greek-y. Yeah. Um, yeah, the setting is just extreme wealth. There was one black character in it, mm-hmm. and he's the dodgy art dealer. <laughs> Um, it's just really weird I have no idea who they were making it for well they're doing it because they're uh, they always have to have that I mean it happens more in um, times of recession but they're making like glittering gilded stuff um, for people to feel better about like Downton Abbey came out of that mm. impulse didn't it yeah but I you don't want think to see something for the same. at least at least, Dina, um, at least Downton Abbey um, <laughs> was I don't know. I, I didn't like Downton Abbey, but no, no, no. There was not a single line of dialogue in this that was anything close to bearable. Mm. All of it was appalling. It was unbearably acted and written from start to end. And the thing that made me watch it though is it's written by Neil Jordan. Oh who, shit! Yeah, yeah, who did the Crying Game, mm. which is very good. Although now I'm worried that maybe it isn't actually good. <laughs> Um, Neil Jordan did write an article two days ago saying that none of this was his fault that this this show is shit he had had no control over it and it was completely changed from what his original idea was he admitted to co-writing the first two episodes which was where all the reviews came from and with what I have heard around the production of it he very much was involved in every single fucking part of it and the reason why it's so shit is because and like one of the big themes of of the show is at the start anyway before they get distracted by panama papers mm. to the extreme mm. is and how bad the russians are is um like how the art world is the last wild west of investments <laughs> and you need to market it's like all of it is but um yes. but art's more obviously easy yeah. um if you're an idiot who doesn't understand how um, finance capital works and you're just like <laughs> taking your dip into complaining about wealth mm-hmm. but so there's a lot in it about um, buying things not because they're good but because they're worth money mm-hmm. and that's essentially what's happened with this show yeah. because Neil Jordan isn't a TV writer mm-hmm. and this, his co-writer isn't a TV writer Neil Jordan was was being the operative word there a very good film writer and the mm-hmm. co-writer won the Booker Prize which is a book prize not a tv prize and um, but because they're so f- does that come across in the in the thing it's like they've got long long lines of dialogue no it's just shit. something like that it's just no there's i don't i if he, i assume he could write better yeah. on when he's right shallow maybe his like, prose is good yeah but um so what happens is someone like sky which has an absurd amount of money yeah throws a load of money at a big name film bloke mm. Not thinking about whether it's actually going to be good, but think because all they're trying to get is that first that bump in the ratings. Yeah, 
Like Young Pope was a little bit like that. Yeah. Oh, that's the other thing that Neil Jordan wrote. He wrote um, the one of the shitty Borgia ones. Oh God, yeah. There yeah. was there was one Borgia one that was vaguely tolerable and one that was atrocious. I literally can't remember which one he wrote, and both of them were there was shit. One with, very there wrong. Was, there was one with rules. There was one with rules from the wire, which was really bad. And then there was. I the think one it was with, probably that one. There was one with. I mean, that was atrocious because nobody in that could speak English. There was one with Jeremy Irons that was like vaguely Tudor's esque, so oh. it could hold your attention, but was still terrible. Oh, I remember that one because Jeremy Irons, he was entertaining because he was eating everything, oh, eating all yeah. the scenery. Yeah, that's all I want from Jeremy Irons at this point in his career. <laughs> I want him to eat every piece of scenery. But yeah, so what happens is they'll just give money. Raven, starving he is. <laughs> they'll give money to a guy that doesn't really deserve it. Mm. And they'll just keep on throwing money at them. Yeah. And no one will ever question it because they don't know what they're making either. Yeah. They don't know what good TV is. Virtually no one in TV seems to know what good TV, what what makes a good show, which is why you end up having Game of Thrones being so shit now mm. and forgetting what made it good originally. Yeah. Because they sort of just end up just losing their with this With this especially, it seems like they've taken the prestige in prestige TV mm. and not realised what people meant when they were describing stuff as prestige TV, which is they were saying it's actually culturally good. I imagine. As opposed to just, we spent a load of money on it. Yeah, I imagine the word aspiration came up a lot. Aspirational. I yeah, yeah, but this, this can't even be aspirational. This is like fucking Dynasty. Dynasty oh, wasn't yeah. aspirational. I, Dynasty was just raw wealth on the screen, and if it titillates to, you it's, enough... It's talked about like it's aspirational, though. Dynasty is. That's... That that is I that has and that's to how it ties God. into everything else that's wrong in this fucking country, wrong in <laughs> the world. This yeah yeah, like I I just thought it was kind of like yeah look at this outrageous wealth it's fucking insane because there was a certain like with the keeping up the Kardashians as well has that kind of there's no difference between watching it ironically and unironically you're watching it to kind of go oh aren't they horrible aren't they yeah. disgusting and oh it's it's a bad show. It's a very bad show. And I can't exactly remember how it ended. <laughs> Always good. It's a good, strong plot then. She sailed off into the sunset. You're supposed to be on her side. She was supposed to be like the working class, your working class entrance into this world. But by the time she you joined her, into it, yeah. by the time you, you meet her, she, she, well, she landed this rich husband because she was a art dealer. So she's not really fucking working class. And um, then also... When you're starting it, she's been married for a year in this billionaire household. <laughs> and at the end, it's like, oh, I'm so glad she got to keep all that artwork. It's still it's a- Julia Stiles in a, like, a donkey jacket going, <laughs> no, you know, I usually have my Rembrandts in a smaller frame. Not yeah. used to them in this big frame. <laughs> yeah. I don't have these little, you know, these it's- little Picassos on the side. Really, really shit. Should have and- seen how many people I had to beat off to get this Cezanne. <laughs> this Cezanne. And it starts off with the daughter cutting herself, and then mm-hmm. she never cuts herself again. There's just kind of vague sense that she's mad in that she pulls faces. Um, <laughs> there's a subplot with a prostitute at one point, which uh-huh. is mainly because they seem to not have enough story. Um, is it soap-like, or is it meant to be like a, dr- it's, it's a murder supposed, mis- a mystery? It's supposed to be like The Killing. I, I very much think that they were yeah. trying to make something like The Killing, like a serialised one-event thing, but they stopped mm-hmm. talking about the first event very quickly. But, um, they seem to have taken the lesson, the, the wrong lessons from Scandi Noir. There's no like, lessons to be taken from Scandi Noir. You, you, you I know, hate all you know, of it. I, I, hate all I know of you it, hate all passion. of it, but at some point they were popular, and part of the reason they were popular, popular is that they had. Because there was nothing else on well, TV. Popular with there was nothing else on is, TV. The is Wire the is finished. 
The Wire had finished and people had already rewatched The Sopranos two times and it hadn't been told that Breaking Bad was good to watch yet. Because <laughs> it was only on season three or something and they hadn't realised that they should watch it. So they needed something else to watch. Mm. So they watched The Killing. And they were like, oh, The Killing's great. And they watched it just fucking great. Um, there's a really fucked up bit where Ewan Rian sexually assaults Julia Stiles. And that's just sort of, it's just, it's fine. And it's just fine. She kills him in the end, but she kills him in the end for a different reason. Because <laughs> he sort of got his dad killed. He sort of got his dad killed, but kind of, but kind of didn't because he's weak and cowardly. It's really fucking stupid. It's a stupid series. So how does he get his dad killed? Does he lead him into he an rats, explosion? He rats him out to... I don't know how he finds out how to tell the the nasty section of the Russian state that he's got this hard drive of Panama 2. And then they and then to get rid of a hard drive, they blow up a yacht. <laughs> I just love the idea that it's like Interpol are like, oh, this Greek shipping oligarch, he's avoiding all his taxes, but fuck it. What? The Russians are involved? Fuck. There's a lovely bit where um, a helicopter is hiding literally on, like, just next to a cliff and no one could hear it and then it just pops up. <laughs> that, was, that was really odd. That was really odd. That's when the Russians turn up with a helicopter and they start machine gunning people in the street and then leave. And that isn't even like in Monaco where I think you could probably get away with a lot of shit in Monaco. <laughs> this is like just on the outskirts of Nice. Oh, it's dog shit. Yeah. It's dog shit. Um... For next time I do this, I'll watch something better that I could be nice about. <laughs> something like, um, not a very British coup. That's That would probably make me too nervous at the moment. <laughs> like, yeah. It's going to happen. We're so close. Yeah. We're so close. Um, maybe Edge of Darkness. I love Edge of Darkness. Edge of Darkness is great. Yeah. Given the increased uh, talk about nuclear weapons. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Has the most accurate portrayal of nuclear weapons when you slam plutonium rods together to irradiate an entire room full of investors. That's so cool. <laughs> but yeah, yeah we'll save that for another time yeah I think yeah so that's it yeah for the show yeah, yeah. yeah. So, that show shit don't watch don't watch Riviera don't ever watch Riviera and maybe go back and watch um, The Crime Game to see maybe if it was actually good I think it probably was it had um, the Stephen Rea yeah it had Stephen Rea and the Pharaoh from Stargate as a transsexual oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. only in two films yeah he was like a German model. Ah. Very pretty. He was very pretty as a pharaoh in Stargate. And he was very pretty as a transsexual in Northern Ireland. Or in London. It was in London. It was in London, but they yeah. were Northern Irish. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, anyway. Yeah, that's so. it for this week. Um, as usual, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. Mm. Uh, follow us at WDTATW underscore podcast. You can follow Hugh at Tanner Smashing. And yep. you can follow me at BM Bergamot. Cool. Um, so yeah, that's it for this week. See you again next week. Bye. I've got the blue, I've got the
Since they amputated my 